The future of fitness is here. Be a part of it. NASM's new virtual coaching course will equip you with the skills, tools, and strategies necessary to launch, operate, or transition your current fitness or wellness business to a successful virtual coaching business. As a virtual coaching specialist, you'll open yourself up to a whole new world of opportunities, being able to help clients from around the world anywhere and anytime. It's the ultimate flexibility as a trainer, while also creating new revenue streams. Start the next phase of your training career with NASM's Virtual Coaching Specialization. Sign up today at nasm.org or call 1-800-460-6276. Hey everyone, welcome to our NASM podcast called Strong Mind, Strong Body. My name is Angie Miller. I'm an NASM master instructor, and I'm super happy you joined us today because we are going to talk about something so impactful and so kind of timely. We are going to talk about heart disease, demystifying heart disease, talk about some of the myths and misconceptions of heart disease, and talk about some of the risk factors and does it affect fitness pros. So I have a very special guest with me today. His name is Dr. James Liu. He is a cardiology specialist in Charlotte, North Carolina. Carolina. And I met Dr. Lou for, for my own reasons, which I guess I could, uh, uh, I guess I could say that I kind of wish I never met Dr. Lou, but yet I'm really glad that I did. And so maybe we'll deep dive into that a little bit later, but Dr. Lou, thank you for being on. And I want to give you a minute just to introduce yourself. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, my name is James Lou. I'm a uh, cardiologist in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I've been practicing general cardiology here for about 19 years. Okay, awesome. So, you know, Dr. Liu, one of the things about heart disease is, you know, I want to talk about some of the myths and misconceptions, and I want to talk about how it's not just a man's disease. But really, let's just start with heart disease in general, because I think that um, there's a little bit of misconception around what is heart disease, because it's a big umbrella for a lot of different diseases, right? Exactly. So the most common form of heart disease is uh, coronary artery disease or atherosclerotic disease, which is uh, basically plaque buildup within the arteries that, are, that supply the heart muscle. Other forms of heart disease would be like congestive heart failure, which is maybe a weakening of the heart muscle from a previous heart attack or a, some sort of a, a infection or autoimmune response. Uh, and there can be also diseases of the heart rhythm that's called arrhythmias that could cause people to have palpitations or pass out, feel lightheaded or dizzy like that. But by far, uh, the most common form of heart disease is coronary artery disease, which again is those cholesterol plaques that build up in the arteries of the heart that cause heart attacks. And okay. So, you know, when you say that, when you say coronary artery disease is kind of the most common type of heart disease um, out there, I, I kind of want to talk about that for a minute because, you know, you talk about how coronary artery disease is a buildup of plaque. How does somebody know, or what would be the signs that would tell them that they actually have coronary artery disease? So the most common presenting symptom really is uh, chest pain or chest discomfort. Often people describe it as a pressure 
uh, heaviness or burning in the chest. It can go to the arm, neck, jaw, or shoulder. And it's typically precipitated by exertion relieved with rest. Now, the fact of the matter is that not everybody has those types of presenting symptoms. Oftentimes, it's just, I feel different, I feel winded, uh, my exercise tolerance, my exercise capacity is diminished. So those would be uh, other symptoms that might clue you in that someone is uh, suffering from heart, uh, heart disease. Okay, so they might feel a little winded, they might feel some pressure, they might just feel more fatigue. They're just getting kind of signs and symptoms from their body that says something just doesn't really feel right, okay? Correct, Correct. exactly. So oftentimes, like I said, precipitated by exertion, if you just feel uncomfortable, you know, if you have a regular routine that you do, like a, a walk or a workout, and in general, exercise should invigorate you and you should feel better. But if you start feeling bad with exercise or bad with exertion or uncomfortable, becomes unpleasant or you're not looking forward to it anymore, those could be signs of heart disease. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So and I think that that's a good way of putting it because a lot of times, you know, exercise should make you feel good. Yes, it's arduous and yes, it's hard work. But at the end of the day, it should be something that makes you feel good, not something that makes you want to go home and pass out or makes you feel like, you know, that was absolutely too much. But, you know, the other thing with heart disease in general, and, you know, we talk about how it's a big umbrella and there's lots of different heart disease uh, umbrellas under it or diseases under it, is that women symptom differently than men. And I've read a lot about that. And the thing is, is that they now say it's not just a man's disease because it used to be thought of that heart disease was just a man's disease. So can you kind of tell us about that? How do women symptom differently? Uh, yes, yeah, so that's very true. So women often uh, present uh, are less likely to present with those classical symptoms that I talked about, you know, the pressure on the chest or heaviness. Oftentimes they just say, I feel uncomfortable or I feel different. Um, and and you're right, women are often under underestimated or, un, and in fact, statistically we know that women are often undertreated for blood pressure and cholesterol, actually. Um, it's one of our, you know, medical social biases that we have. And uh, women are oftentimes less likely to be offered a cholesterol medicine or a blood pressure medicine. Um, but presenting symptoms are not usually the classical chest pain or pressure or tightness. Uh, women are actually more likely to present with an actual a heart attack, uh, uh, more so than men. Men are more likely to present with what we call angina or unstable angina, that's those progressive symptoms of discomfort or chest heaviness. Uh, and, and like I said, women's symptoms often go unrecognized. So, so if a woman has risk factors and any kind of difference in, in how they feel, it's, it's certainly reasonable to, uh, to pursue some sort of evaluation. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, that a lot of times women don't find out until they've actually had a heart attack. And I've read so much about that, that that's often what will happen with women is until they go in with an actual heart attack. And even that sometimes when they go in, that they can even be misdiagnosed when they're actually having an episode or having a heart attack, which I find just, you know, uh, kind of sad and I, ironic almost, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it is, um, it's not uncommon for, for something to either be misdiagnosed or have a delayed diagnosis uh, just for the fact that the presenting symptoms are often the non-classical version variant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting because um, I met Dr. Liu a few years back because I was having some palpitations. Some I would I remember sitting with clients and my heart would be doing backflips or forward flips or um, skipping around or it would start racing and and I let it go on for a really long period of time and we were in the middle of a move and so I checked it off to all kinds of things like oh maybe it's anxiety or maybe it's stress or maybe it's this or that and I did what I think a lot of people tend to do especially not to stereotype but especially women we tend to poo poo things and I moved to Charlotte and went in to see Dr. Liu and wore a heart rate monitor for a month. And we realized that it was, you know, PVCs, that it was kind of benign. But Dr. Liu, you might be able to speak to that a little bit, because I think that's another confusion is you start to feel something, but you're not sure what you're feeling. And then it might be something that's benign. So maybe you could speak to that. So, right. So if you feel anything different, it's certainly a good idea to talk to your physician about it. Um, Things like PBCs are a, a premature heartbeat and often causes people to feel palpitations. So you may feel your heart skipping or something takes your breath away. They can occur because of stress or anxiety or they can just uh, occur for no particular reason. Uh, sometimes your hydration status plays a role, your electrolytes, uh, your, your quality of your sleep, your nutrition, all those are factors in it. It's just important that when you, when you notice something new like that to get a uh, basic evaluation like an EKG or a heart monitor just to characterize exactly what's happening at the time that you're feeling it to see if there's any correlation with some kind of important or concerning arrhythmia associated with the symptoms of palpitations. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also begs kind of another topic is that it goes back to kind of what you and I talked about with women and heart disease because even after visiting you and we determined it was PVCs, but we uncovered something else, I went to get a second opinion because I was going to prove you wrong, of course, no. <laughs> and when I did, I was actually asked by the physician that I saw who was kind of a high profile physician in a high profile um, you know, medical system said to me, are you sure that wasn't your imagination? And, uh, and so I think that that often happens with women as we question ourselves to begin with when it comes to diseases that are typically man's diseases. And then when we call on our courage and we go in, we're sometimes poo-pooed or made to believe that maybe it's actually our imagination or, gee, you're under a lot of stress. Yeah, again, that goes to the sort of medical societal type biases we have against uh, women and heart disease, which is, you know, kind of, it's, it's, Sad to see, you know, you know, people go through that because clearly it's something important and something that's concerning, and and often, oftentimes it doesn't mean something serious or something dangerous, but you know, clearly the patient is feeling something, and it's important to acknowledge that and do, you know, the appropriate testing, and, yeah, and evaluation just to make sure that indeed there's nothing uh, dangerous, particularly about the palpitations or the PVC. Right, and I think actually, if I hear you right, kind of the the moral of it is that. If you sense something going on with your body, listen to your intuition. And so if you go to one physician and they tell you that it's nothing, but you still sense that there's something going on and you feel different or your body is behaving different, then go see somebody else and get a second opinion, right? Right, right exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about coronary artery disease. Let's stay with this for a minute. So if it's about buildup in the arteries, and you said that, uh, a lot of times, you know, you don't necessarily, women have different symptoms, that type of thing. Um, 
how do you know or or how do you actually you know you go in what kind of testing do they do to figure that out so a lot of it depends on your uh, risk factors so the level of suspicion you have that a patient may have coronary disease so uh, obviously it starts with their symptoms um, if chest pain shortness of breath exercise intolerance and then in context of that particular patient's uh, risk factors do they have high blood pressure, do they have diabetes, do they have high cholesterol, do they smoke, uh, are they, you know, typically it's a, it's a disease that affects men over the age of 40, beginning at the age of 45 and older, and women at around the age of 50, 55 and older. Uh, also, a big uh, factor involved is their family history. So if someone has a handful of risk factors, then it's worth pursuing some sort of evaluation. Uh, often starts with just uh, the interview with the patient, checking an EKG while they're in the office dressing. And sometimes you may feel the need to do a, a functional test, like a stress test, to see what they can, how they can perform on a treadmill, uh, which can give you a clue where you have someone walk on a treadmill and you're actually taking an EKG while they're uh, walking on the treadmill and you slowly increase the uh, incline of the treadmill until, uh, until you reach a particular heart rate goal for that particular patient's age. And, uh, certain changes you may see on the EKG which could clue you in as to some sort of problem or not. Mm -hmm. So if I hear you right, it's kind of it's it's kind of individual dependent. So yeah, if they come in and they've got these symptoms, it really just kind of depends on you getting a good family history and determining what you think their risk factors are and then you can decide what kind of tests you think would be most appropriate for them. Exactly, exactly. So if you have things, the measurements like someone's blood pressure, someone's cholesterol, that can clue you in into their risk. But there are other tests too that are um, uh, look at the heart in different ways. There's the echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart, and that allows you to see the uh, walls of the heart, watch the heart move. Uh, you see the valves opening and closing and gives you an idea of the overall strength and function of the and there is also another test, a very early detection test called a cardiac calcium score, which is a simple test that uses x-rays with a CAT scanner to uh, look at the uh, arteries of the heart to see if there's any early signs of plaque buildup, early signs of, you know, quote, hardening of the arteries. And the presence of calcium is the uh, best predictor of the presence of some, some degree of uh, cholesterol plaque buildup in the arteries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought long and hard about this episode before we did it because I thought long and hard about um, if I wanted to kind of talk about my own personal story and invite that into this space because for me it was a big lesson and uh, it's been a lot of uh, managing of my own mind surrounding the situation. But when I went to Dr. Lou and we discovered that it was PVCs, Dr. Lou, you said to me, you know what, February is heart month and maybe you should go in and get a cardiac CT score because of your family history. And so I went in and did the cardiac CT score and that was actually when we discovered that for me personally that I do have heart disease and it was, um, it was kind of a, a, a harsh awakening for me. So Dr. Lou saw the, the very worst of me and hopefully some of my better times, but it was kind of a rude awakening. I felt like my body had maybe betrayed me a little bit all these years of fitness and health and all those miles that I literally put on the treadmill and I was like, what do you mean I have heart disease? How could that possibly be?
And that's how we discovered it was doing a cardiac CT scan. And uh, I guess that just blows the whole myth on fit people can't get heart disease. And I think that I always thought that fitness was going to be my hall pass and you burst my bubble. <laughs> uh, so, and, and it, it does, it, it, it's a very difficult position, you know, when someone who has dedicated their life to fitness and well-being receives this kind of news and it can be, it can be very, you know, you know, quite harsh. And I, um, the, it just goes to show there's so many factors you know, outside of our control, some that science has not yet identified, but, or some that has been identified, we just don't have treatments yet for. And uh, as far as uh, your personal condition, where, you know, I think all the exercise and the lifestyle that you've had is, has uh, afforded you the uh, ability to uh, sort of, uh, in a way, do better than what your genetics may have predisposed you to. So just just because there's the presence of calcium, again, means that there is some plaque. And it just means it's a, uh, it's a good opportunity to say, well, okay, this is uh, a surprising finding and this is something that we can address now before it actually becomes a problem. So that's the whole point of preventive medicine is to identify a risk and then try and mitigate that risk so that you know, that individual you know, has less chance of having something you know, bad happen, like a heart attack, or for it to progress to become, you know, to cause symptoms. And the, the key is early detection. And, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, say I applaud you for going through all that and, uh, and just, you know, buying into it, because I know it's just a tough position to be in. Yes, yes. I so wanted to find a source who would tell me that you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I did ultimately have to buy into it and I did ultimately have to succumb that to the fact that sometimes you literally cannot outrun your genetics and I think I was pretty convinced that I could but you know there's a lot of shame and guilt that's associated with uh, getting uh, diagnosed with um, a disease that or a condition that you are pretty certain would be way outside of your wheelhouse because of these these things that you do and uh, there's one other component to that that I really want to talk about because I think that it's really applicable to fit pros in general. And that's that um, my EKG was perfect and you had me do a stress test and um, I'm proud to say I kind of killed it, right? <laughs> and so um, super high percentage for my stress test. So explain to us how a person can be fit. They can go out there, they can knock out a stress test and... Uh, but yet their arteries could just be a hot old mess. <laughs> right, right. So that, that is a bit of a paradox. But first of all, I just want to say there's nothing that you need to feel guilty or shameful about. This is, you know, something that's, you know, been handed to you by, like you said, by your genetics. So, you know, the things that you've done are what kept you healthy all this time and prevented you, likely prevented you from having future problems too. I'm just here to guide you along the way. So in terms of the stress test, passing a stress test and your subsequent risk for some sort of problem, uh, it, it goes to the nature of what coronary disease really is. So we tend to illustrate or when we explain to patients about uh, arteries filling up with plaque, we tend to think of it as the plaque building up and clogging up, just sitting you know, inside the artery sitting there. When in fact, the plaque is actually between the layers of the blood vessel. So the coronary arteries are the blood vessels that 
on the surface of the heart. They, just like the arteries and blood vessels in your arms and leg, muscles of your arms and legs, these are on the surface of the heart, and these blood vessels bring nourishment to the heart. Uh, what happens is, within those blood vessels, there's several layers, and, in, and actually what the cholesterol that builds up in the body squeezes in between the layers, okay? And so you can have a little, a little bit of plaque buildup that is a small percentage. It only occludes a portion of the artery, maybe 30% or 40%. And that's not something that would show up on a stress test because it's so small, it's only 30% blocking up the artery that it doesn't really limit blood flow. So it's small enough that it, that it, um, that it can fly under the radar, that it doesn't limit blood flow. It's not big enough to cause symptoms like chest pain or discomfort. But what can happen is that thin layer of cells that's on the top of it can one day become unstable and break apart. And what happens then is actually a blood, the blood that's flowing by just breaks that crack and puts a blood clot there. And so it's that sudden occlusion of blood flow in the blood vessel that actually causes a heart attack. So you can have arteries that have calcium in them that are diffusely um, uh, Built up, so there's calcium throughout the arteries, but the cat, but but the plaque is small plaque throughout, as opposed to one spot that has a lot of calcium and a lot of plaque. So, the uh, the ability to exercise well, okay. So if you can do very well on a treadmill and you have a very good exercise capacity, that means that your prognosis, meaning your likelihood or an individual's likelihood of having some sort of heart attack or heart related problem, is very low provided you maintain that level of fitness. Now, in order to prevent those, that means it's also you unlikely, you're not likely to have major plaque that's 70%, 80%, or 90% inside the artery. And so to prevent all those 30, 40% blockages from becoming unstable, or to prevent them from rupturing open or clotting off, is uh, medication, nutrition, exercise, you know, uh, healthy lifestyle, good nutrition, good sleep, all those are important factors that decreasing the likelihood that a small blockage would actually rupture open and cause a heart attack. And in fact, most heart attacks are actually caused by these small, medium blockages. And so if someone were to have a heart attack and then we do a heart catheterization, we look in the artery, and we see, oh, it's 90% blocked. Well, if we were actually cut that blockage out and look at it, you would see that 40% of it is cholesterol plaque. But the other, you know, 40, 50% that remainder is actually a blood clot on top of a, of a small or medium-sized blockage. So the, the key to preventing something from happening is to, is to prevent inflammation within those plaques uh, and to thicken and harden down the, uh, the surface of the plaque to make them less prone to rupture and actually cause a problem as time goes on. Okay. So, you know, I couldn't sum that up if I tried, but I think that if we all needed to, we could listen to it several times. But I just want to reintroduce you, Dr. Liu, for those who are listening or who might be tuning in late. This is Dr. James Liu, and he is a cardiologist in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're talking about demystifying heart disease and all the different ways, the myths and misconceptions and how it affects women differently. So thank you again, Dr. Liu, for being here. And if you're just tuning in, um, you know, he's a great expert to listen to. So... You know, let's talk about um, let's talk about LP little a because that's something that I never heard of LP little a 
until I met you, of course. <laughs> and then I started doing research on it, and I realized, you know, Bob Harbour, the celebrity trainer, um, when he had his heart attack, they came back and said that it was because his LP little a was genetically very, very high. And then I started really deep diving into LP little a, and there's an LP little a society, and they talk about how so many times it's not part of a regular blood workup that our doctors will have us get. And so tell us about LP little a. So LP little a is uh, lipoprotein A, and it's a type of lipoprotein uh, particle. And lipoproteins are the particles in the bloodstream that transport cholesterol and fat. Um, and you know, you've heard of the low-density lipoprotein, which is LDL, and high-density lipoprotein, HDL. So we tend to refer to those lipoproteins as good and bad. So we say the good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol. And L LP little a or uh, lipoprotein A is actually one of the bad cholesterols, and it was you know discovered maybe. 40 years ago, but uh, this, there's been no good treatment for that yet. Uh, and it's not very common. The most common forms of heart disease, atherosclerotic heart disease, are actually caused by elevated levels of LDL cholesterol, so the low density lipoprotein. So the uh, LPA or LP little a, those, um, they're also not that common in other animals, so it's hard to study in things like mice and rabbits and, uh, you know, uh, other animals that have, you know, coronary disease that you could, you know, test in the laboratory. So the number one, the, the the difficulty in researching it makes it less less commonly discussed, but also the um, uh, the lack of any kind of treatment for it presently is it gets less headlines. So that's that's part of why not many of us hear about it. It's also not commonly tested for, but it is probably one of the most major determinants in, in people who are young and healthy that have heart, that have heart disease. And, and it's, a, it's a strong genetic component too. Yeah, I was actually just gonna say that is that it has a very strong genetic component. And so when my blood work came back, you know, that was one of the discoveries. So, you know, it, it has a strong genetic component. And like you said, that's probably, I'm sure that makes sense that that's how you would, you would find that out in young people is, you know, carrying through the genetic, the genetic pool, <laughs> the genetic pool, good or bad, <laughs> right? One of the things also is it's, it's variable as to whether or not um, insurance will cover testing for, for something like that too. So we, we, we have, have, you know, uh, unreliable, you know, or inconsistent coverage through various insurance companies. That's that's one of the things also that makes it difficult. That doggone insurance. We just had to go there, didn't we? What is insurance going to cover, right? Versus what we want. So right. you're you're absolutely right. Yes, and in fact, the calcium score is not something that's routinely covered, though it is a uh, a fantastic, you know, preventive test or at least a test for early detection of uh, early signs. And that's something that could change someone's, you know, medical treatment. If someone's cholesterol is, you know, borderline and they want to try diet and exercise before uh, starting some sort of medication, then if you if you have a calcium score that shows you've got early plaque buildup, then that might favor being on a medication sooner rather than waiting, you know, waiting, you know, for a year or so of trying to diet and exercise. So, uh, unfortunately, in, in most states, the calcium score itself is not covered by 
You know what? I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that was back to our conversation a couple of years ago when you said February is heart month. And actually, they run the they will offer that cardiac CT scan for a discounted price. It's like going to Nordstrom and getting a sale. And I was like, OK, well, sign me up. So it actually out of pocket was a really, really reasonable price. And because it is heart month, I would I would encourage those of you out there who are listening to actually investigate that option of getting a calcium CT scan because it's quick. I think it, it probably felt like it took 30 seconds and it's actually very, very affordable for, for most people. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very quick. There's no, there's no IV, no dye. It uses x-ray with right. uh, computerized to uh, x-ray to uh, look at, look at the uh, arteries of the heart to see if there's any early signs of uh, any calcium building. Yeah. So, Outside of coronary artery disease, what would you think would be the second um, biggest type of heart disease that maybe fitness pros could learn about or might impact the clients that they see? What might be another one? Well, depending on the population, in, in terms of the, the country as a whole, uh, congestive heart failure will be your next biggest cardiovascular problem, which is uh, characterized by shortness of breath and fluid retention, fluid in the lungs that make your lungs feel heavy and uh, it limits your ability to, to breathe, taking a deep breath. Uh, sometimes it's because your heart muscle is actually weakened and damaged, but also many times it can happen in people whose heart muscles are normal, uh, normal strength, but the muscles either stiffen or their blood pressure is not well controlled. So when it comes to, you know, um, exercise and fitness with these folks, you know, we like, we recommend generally just starting low and going slow uh, and uh, paying attention to, you know, uh, sodium intake, which can raise blood pressure, but also uh, causes more fluid retention. So in folks who have that problem with excessive fluid retention and congestive heart failure, we recommend they check their weight every day to make sure that they haven't gained a significant amount of weight uh, over the last, you know, few, uh, over the last 24 hours, because that could put them in a dangerous position and maybe not appropriate to exercise that day if they've gained, you know, three or four pounds in 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. I actually like that you said that, that as fit pros, you kind of have to know your population because, um, you know, I imagine that if you're working with older adults, um, especially you kind of have to know your population and then hopefully work in collaboration as much as possible with your clients, uh, physicians or, you know, work in collaboration as much as possible with, um, anyone that your client is, is seeing for their, you know, to stay on top of their health and wellness. Right. Yeah, exactly. So oftentimes with younger folks, it may be arrhythmias like palpitations or, uh, tachycardias and, in which case they uh, have to keep watch with their um, heart rate monitors or things like that. And it may be not appropriate to, you know, push them, push them, push them, but rather just get to some level of meaningful exercise, at least when, when you're first starting out, until you kind of have some sort of familiarity with, uh, with that particular individual. But uh, uh, most, most young people, that's oftentimes what we see is more things like arrhythmias, uh, palpitations, or uh, arrhythmia, which is an irregular heartbeat, oftentimes it can be a fast, rapid heartbeat. Sometimes it's precipitated by exertion and activity, in which case you may have to change their type of routines. They're not so much cardio, but maybe something more along the lines of uh, stretching and flexibility, balance, and resistance training. 
Okay. Yeah. So, you know, once again, I want to reintroduce you. I'm just going to keep reintroducing you, Dr. Lou. So this is Dr. Lou, and he is a cardiologist in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're talking about demystifying heart disease. We've covered some of the myths and misconceptions and how it affects women versus men. So I really appreciate you being here, Dr. Lou. And if you're just tuning in, I hope you'll hit the rewind and check out a lot of what he has said. So, you know, the other thing that I want to ask you about is um, you mentioned it earlier. You kind of touched over it, and that is stress and anxiety. And we are just such a high-stress, anxious society. And I, I would be lying if I said I was immune and I was just this, you know, chill chick moving through life. But what do you think as far as, like, the impact of stress on heart disease? And what would be the best thing that somebody could do with that? Right. Uh, so, you know, stress can certainly exacerbate heart disease, particularly coronary artery disease. Uh, you maybe may have heard of things like the broken heart syndrome, which is where someone undergoes an extremely stressful event and actually has a heart attack, not necessarily because of the of a blockage, but actually a spasm of the arteries of the heart. And uh, those does can be, uh, they're not uncommon. It, it, it does happen, and usually in times of intense emotion. But in folks who have established heart disease, people who have actually arrhythmias, intense, stressful times, increases the amount of inflammation in the body and makes those uh, plaques of cholesterol inside the arteries less stable and more likely to rupture and more likely to have heart attacks uh, during those times. Um, uh, uh, we know that in terms of treatment for stress, it's, it, we don't have a magic pill. And it's oftentimes, you know, multidisciplinary. Obviously, we know large body movements like exercise, uh, walking, jogging, biking, swimming, all those things help. Uh, even just being outside in nature helps. So there are some, some places, some societies where they'll prescribe for you a walk in the woods just to de-stress and things, uh, to help reconnect and uh, uh, get rid of some anxiety or at least take take the level of stress and anxiety down a few notches. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, and rest is very important. You know, we, we tend to undervalue the quality of our sleep in our society. We, you know, have to get up and go and, uh, you know, just barely get enough sleep or barely get by. Uh, I'm sometimes guilty of that myself. So, uh, because you're busy and you've got a lot of work to do. So, uh, I think, you know, focusing on our, our rest and uh, sleep and, and things that take the stress out of our lives, which if it is, some people find things like hiking, Stress relieving. Some people like working out on a treadmill or with weights, but anything that at least takes your mind away from the stress for a period of time lets you just focus on that one activity and being in that moment and mindful of what you're doing there can uh, certainly decreases your overall stress and your overall, you know, ideally your overall risk for some sort of, you know, adverse heart outcome. Yeah. Because, you know, from the outside looking in, it always seems weird to me to think that. Um, you know, feeling stress or being under a lot of stress could actually create coronary artery disease or lead to coronary artery disease. But when you describe it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's interesting because it points to, and it, it lends a lot of credibility to kind of like you said, holistic health and fitness. There's a reason why we're integrating all these concepts. There's a reason why we need to pay attention to our mental health and we need to pay attention to our thoughts and our mindset. There's a reason why meditation retreats have become all the rage. Um, it's always kind of been my life's mission is to blend what I do in mental health with what I do in fitness and to promote that you really can't have one without the other. So I think that 
you're you're spot on. It's a, it's a holistic approach to health and fitness. So. Right, and uh, I think it's it's it speaks to the movement now where we refer to uh, these uh, comp what we used to refer to as complementary medicine is now integrative medicine. So we want to integrate all these other therapies into you know the traditional Western medicine uh, medications and surgeries and procedures, but integrate other other approaches that can you know help you know help someone feel better or live healthier lives in general. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Lou, I think that you've been a world of information for all of us, and I really appreciate you coming on. So once again, I've been talking to Dr. Lou. He is a cardiology specialist here in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's done a great service in talking about demystifying heart disease, how it impacts uh, women and men, and talking a little bit about LP little a and all things holistic health. So I really appreciate you joining me on this segment today. For all of you watching, you you know you've got the information here, but if you want to catch it later, you can catch it on Spotify or an Apple Podcasts. Um, you can reach me at my website. It's Angie Miller Fitness, and email me there. And Dr. Lou, I'm curious, would you be open to thousands of people emailing you? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Would you be <laughs> would you be open to people reaching out and asking, answering, or asking questions? Or um, what do you think? Certainly, of course, of course. Yeah. So, how would they reach you? <laughs> um, well, uh, our our practice has a general email, which is just a South Charlotte Cardiology at gmail.com. And, uh, uh, and that's probably just the most direct way of reaching out to us through the practice. Okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you for speaking to Heart Disease. It is Heart Month. And I think that I really appreciate you coming on here. It speaks to me from here. And I really appreciate you filled, filled this area. <laughs> so thanks to all of you listening. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next week. So best of health to everybody.